everyone's an important piece of the puzzle and has a role to play. When you're on God's team, no one sits on the bench. On God's team, there is no bench. Yay, welcome. I am so excited to be with you. If you're new to Flyover Conservatives, our slogan is wake up, speak up, and show up. We all wanted President Trump to do 80 million things to save this country. I mean, that would have been absolutely amazing, but it didn't happen that way. Over the last few years, what we've realized is we don't just need one person. We need 80 million of us doing one thing every single day to save our own country. And that is where we are at right now. I'm doing an impromptu. I'm not even sure exactly uh, what this falls under, but I felt like the Lord said, I want you to get this out. And the, the kind of the main theme of this is how does God fit into this time right now? And how do we take up our authority during this time? And then I'm going to give some tools at the end, like how we can build our spirit. How can we uh, loose our soul and bind things to our soul? And how do we walk through this life using declarations and our voices? And how do we stay free from sickness? That's what this is all about today, how to be a victorious bride. You know, I don't have all of the answers, but I'm just going to share my story and what God has done in my life. But before I do that, this show wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for the sponsor, Mike Lindell. You know, Mike, uh, he is a true patriot. He loves Jesus. He loves this country, and he's doing everything that he can to help to save this country. When you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code FLYOVER, you get up to 66% off. So obviously, that is a great deal for you. But it also helps Mike Lindell so he can continue in this fight, and it helps the Flyover Conservatives to be able to do the same. So we really appreciate your support. Check out this quick commercial. What you doing there, Mom? Well, Wesley and I got all in the Christmas spirit after decorating, and we decided to make a naughty and nice list. And Ooh. I have to say, Avery, you're doing quite well. Really? So we're trying to decide who all we're going to buy my pillow stuff for Christmas. You know, if you use promo code FLYOVER, you get up to 66% off when you go to MyPillow.com. That's a great deal. Can't beat it. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Promo code FLYOVER. You know, if you use promo code FLYOVER, you get up to 66% off when you go to MyPillow.com. That's a great deal. Can't beat it. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Promo code FLYOVER. Doesn't that put you in the Christmas spirit? Absolutely incredible. I also want to uh, talk about another sponsor of the Prophetic Report, and that is Sandra Fry with Fern Valley Soap. I am so thankful for them. They have incredible products. You know, I met Sandra at a Clay Clark event in Tulsa, Oklahoma. First time I met her, I thought, this is an amazing woman. She loves Jesus. She loves the prophetic, and she has incredible products. I actually tried them for quite a while before I introduced them to the Flyover family, and she is giving us incredible 
deals. I want to share with you some things that she has going on. Right now, they have the Black Friday special going on. These are the gift sets that you can get when you go to FernValleySoap.com. So let me walk you through how to actually do that. They have a Black Friday deal right now that you get 20% off of gifts, gift sets. But when you combine that with the promo code discount for using the promo code FLYOVER, you get 36% off plus free shipping on the gift set. So this is what you do. You first click on gift ideas image, and this will take you to all of the gift sets. Now, when you get there, it could be the Christmas gift sets or non-Christmas, either way. Um, and you're going to be able to get that 36% off uh, plus free shipping. Now, if you go further down that page, you can actually find gifts that are under $40, which are the Elf Shop. So the Elf Shop on Fern Valley Soap, those are gift ideas for under $40. And you also get the 36% off of those with free shipping as well. So this is such a great uh, gift that you can give to your loved ones, to people that you work with, um, and you're supporting an incredible uh, company. So go to fernvalleysoap.com, use promo code FLYOVER. Thank you, Sandra, so much for all of your support of the Prophetic Report. Okay, so let's talk about what God has been uh, pressing on my heart. So this weekend, um, I was in Tulsa, and I was with Marty Grisham and Jenny Grisham, um, and pastors Dave and Katie out of Manhattan, Kansas, and Amanda Grace and Chris and Gus. It was such an incredible weekend of healing revival. And I shared some things there, and I felt like the Lord said, I want this shared with the Flyover family because they have maybe have missed this, and I want them to have this information. I really do believe from all the prophetic, everything that we're hearing, that we are entering a time um, where it's going to get very dark, uh, but we also need the bride to be victorious. You know, if you all remember from last week how they were talking about um, that before the Obama uh, administration came into office, that there was a portal that opened. And the church did not stand up and they didn't close that portal. And, and the devil was trying to push forth this end time agenda. And they've been talking about this portal is open and it's time for the bride to step up. It's time for the church. It's time for the ecclesia to step up and say, nope, not on our watch. So I wanted to share with you um, just some things I've learned over the years, uh, some things that I've been applying in my life uh, that I, I hope uh, you will find uh, to be helpful, but I know it's been helpful for me. So I just want, I would love to share my heart if it's okay with you all. So, you know, David and I, um, we've been followers of Jesus all our life. I was saved at nine, uh, grew up in a family. We went to church regularly. Um, but I didn't grow up in family uh, or in a church that uh, talked much about the Holy Spirit. Now, we learned about Jesus. We learned about God. But we didn't hear much about the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we were 21 years old, David and I moved out to Colorado Springs to act for him to actually attend a Bible college. Um, one that, again, didn't deal with the gifts of the Spirit or anything like that. And uh David actually went out a week before I did uh, to kind of find a place for us to live. We had Colton. He was just a baby at the time. And uh, so he was kind of getting prepared for us to come. And he went out a week before we did. And he actually was driving down the street and he sees this city bus go by. And the bus said, making it hard to go to hell in Colorado Springs. And then it said the name of the church. And David was like, whoa, now that's pretty incredible. I'd like to check that out. So he went that Sunday. Again, I wasn't in town yet. 
And when he went there, he was introduced to the gifts of the Spirit. He was introduced to seeing people dancing around. Um, people were speaking in tongues. These are all things that we were not introduced to growing up, had no exposure to it at all. And so this was kind of shocking, um, but he fell in love with it. And he said he loved that slogan, making it hard to go to hell in Colorado Springs in the name of the church. Well, one thing that this church was doing at that time, there was a revival that had broke out in Toronto, Canada, um, in 1994. And then that revival ended up spreading all over the United States as well. Brownsville, there was a lot of revivals that kind of stemmed from that happening. And so the pastors and many of the congregation were flying back and forth to Toronto, coming back and kind of bringing what they were experiencing, the anointing, all of that back to Colorado Springs. Well, during that time, uh, the church at that time was running about 1,800, um, but it ended up growing to 10,000 over a five-year period of time that we were there. I mean, just massive growth because people were hungry and we were seeing things. So I moved to Colorado Springs and David's like, okay, Stacy, I want to take you to this church. And he goes, don't be freaked out. Everything's okay. I just want you to be able to experience it yourself because I'm learning a side of God that I never experienced before, but I think it's very important. And so we go to the church. First thing I see, now, the church I was raised in, they didn't believe in dancing of any kind. So uh, first thing I see is a lady going down the the um, between the chairs, and she had a tambourine in her hand. She had these ribbons off of the tambourine. She was dancing with her eyes closed, and I was like, what are we doing? Get me out of here. I mean, it was so crazy. Um, but I ended up staying and what I found was there would be people that literally that had been touched by the Holy Spirit that would be on the floor when we left the morning service and we would come back that night and they would still be on the floor in a in this encounter with God. I mean, unbelievable things I'd never seen before, never experienced. But then we would see fruit and changes that were happening so much so that, like I said, the church grew from, you know, just a, a, almost 2,000 to 10,000 in the time that we were there. And so there was a real hunger for God. We saw healings. We saw, I mean, all kinds of things during that time. And our minds were stretched to what God could do. And our lives were changed. At that time, I was introduced to my prayer language, speaking in tongues. And at that time, I was like, okay, now I understand what it means when you can pray without ceasing because you read that in the Bible. What does that mean? Well, that is one way that you could actually do it in the spirit realm. And so I thought, okay, this is pretty interesting. This is pretty cool. And uh, I've always been a pursuer of God in my adult life. I mean, I was somebody that I love God. I wanted to know more about God. In fact, um, our family was kind of nicknamed God Chasers. In fact, there was a painting that was done for us. It looks like a tornado. Yeah, and it's Jeremiah, but it talks about how you seek after God. And uh, that is our family. We've moved a lot of different places just seeking after what God's doing. Instead of saying, God, we want you to come where we are and bless what we're doing. We say, God, what are you doing? And we run to that place and just like, how can we throw fire on whatever God's doing? Now, one thing I've realized though, in um, pursuing the Lord over the years is the more I get to know him, the more I realize I don't know very much because there is so much. You can't put God in a box. He cannot be put in a box. He's so much bigger than we could ever imagine. I mean, when God looks up, there's nothing above him. All things are created by God. And we can't be like, oh, yes, I know everything. We don't. Now, the Bible gives us great instruction. We can learn from there, but we certainly do not know everything. 
One thing I've learned, though, um, which is interesting because the church has kind of left the Holy Spirit out of the equation. I think a lot of times we find that, not a, not all of them, but a lot of churches have, and I think it's because they can't control them and they don't know what to do with them. Uh, but Holy Spirit is an amazing, an amazing teacher. And I want to share some stories with you guys of how he's impacted our life um, and how he's kind of been guiding and directing us as to what we should be doing. So in 2010, um, our kids, Avery was in junior high, Colton was in high school. Uh, we lived in a very wealthy community in Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, we lived in Williamson County at that time. It was the third wealthiest county in all of the United States. And the kids went to a Christian private school within that community. So we were in a bubble by living, first of all, in the United States. And then we were in a bubble within a bubble by living in a very wealthy uh, community, but then they went to a private school that was very wealthy. So a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. Um, and so much so that our son, when he turned 16, a lot of his friends, they got new Hummers, they had, they got new Lexus, you know? And so it was like, wow. Okay. So we decided as a family that we were going to go somewhere to serve because we really wanted to um, just increase our perspective on life that there's nothing wrong with having money, but being thankful and knowing how blessed you are because the most of the world would never experience that. And so we thought, let's go someplace as a family. So we ended up moving to Mexico and we planned on going for one year during that time. It was just one year. And then Colton was a junior. And so we said, Colton, at the end of this year, for your senior year, you can come back, have a normal senior year. You get to go to prom and have a graduation and do everything that kids look forward to doing their senior year in high school. And so we, we pack up the car, we move there, we work with a ministry. One year was the plan. So, you know, at that time, every, um, we were looking working with orphan care. Every orphan there um, had been abandoned. A lot of them had been abused. And so your kind of perspective changes a lot, you know, on things that are really important in life. And um, Colton and Avery had the opportunity to tutor a lot of these children, get to know them, have great conversations with them, spend a lot of time with these children that were in these different orphanages in that area. And at Christmas time, Colton went back to see his friends. And when he went back, uh, he had, you know, conversations and stayed with friends and had a great time. When he came back, after Christmas, he looked at us and said, you know, I had a great time with my friends, but he said, you know, they're kind of talking about the same things they were talking about six months ago when I left. He said, I just want you to know if we don't move back to the United States, I'm okay with that. If I don't have a normal senior year, I'm okay with that. In fact, I would prefer staying here. So we talked to Avery and everybody was kind of on board. So we went and talked to the ministry we were working with and they were like, oh, we don't actually have a position open for you all. It's already filled for next year with someone else. And so we're like, oh man, and we really wanted to stay. And, but there wasn't really any opportunity to do that. And uh, so the school that they had gone to in Nashville, uh, they required a deposit for the next year. And it was a pretty hefty deposit. And they were contacting us saying, if the kids are going to come here next year, we need that deposit. So we started feeling this pressure, you know, and also just making decisions as to what's your future going to look like. Nobody really likes to be unsure. So we were praying and praying and really not getting any answers. And, um, and David said, you know, I'm going to go in our room. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be on my knees in prayer. And I'm going to stay here until God gives us an answer. 
And we look back on that now and we laugh because it's like God's like, your knees are going to get tired. You're eventually going to get hungry. Um, I got more time than you do. Uh, but David went in the room and this is how good God is. Um, eventually, you know, that later that day, um, God did give David an answer. And this is what he said. He said, David, I'm not going to give you an answer as to what you should do with your future, but I am going to give you peace. And David felt like he was on the prices right and got a toaster as a consolation prize instead of the car he was going for. And he's like, ah, God, I need an answer. The school is calling. My family needs to know I need an answer. And he heard the Lord say, David, if I give you the answer, but you have no peace, is that what you really want? And David's like, no, but can't I have both? Um, and we didn't get an answer. In fact, that was around March of uh, 2011. Um, no answer from the Lord. Uh, in fact, for several months. And so eventually we just contacted the school and we said, you know, uh, we're not going to put a deposit down. Um, if that position is closed, when we make a decision, then, um, you know, we'll do something different. But we don't really have an answer. And we held off and held off. And finally, in June, so several months later, we got an answer. And there was an orphanage that was deeper into Mexico um, that had an incredible spiritual climate, so much so that when you entered the property of that place, it felt like a Holy Spirit spa. I've never experienced anything like it. Holy Spirit, God, they were so worshiped in that place. Like God was welcome there. Holy Spirit was welcome there. You know, when kids would come to that orphanage and they were dealing with demonic oppression, uh, they ha they went through deliverance. Um, I mean, it they had worship nights regularly. I mean, every Wednesday night was a worship night, you know, at this, at this children's home, this orphanage. I mean, it was truly amazing. But the community had run been run by the drug cartel. And so this orphanage... Um, it was too dangerous for groups to come to. And most finances, when it's a privately owned orphanage, not state run, but privately owned um, and Christian, it would require missions groups to come to there um, to raise money. You know, they would sponsor the children, those kind of things uh, in order to have the finances. So these children, uh, they didn't really have meat. Uh, the directors at that time would go into the community and, you know, they would get hand-me-downs. They would get, you know, from stores where they had uh, food that they no longer could use. It was, you know, old and the vegetables had mold on it. They would give it to the orphanage. They hadn't had meat in uh, a month. It was very rare to have meat. And so we as a family, through our connections in the United States, we got sponsors for all 45 of the kids there on the property. In fact, we have some good friends, um, Steve and Sandy, that still sponsor a child from that uh, children's home. Still today, they write letters back and forth. They're still sponsors. So incredible. And there may be even more, but I know them specifically, you know, and so it was just an incredible experience uh, while we were there. Um, and so that relationship that we had, uh, you know, we moved in the orphanage. We got to know these kids. We fell in love with them. Um, the community, though, was extremely dangerous. In fact, the um, police didn't have their police cars anymore. It was the drug cartel that drove the police cars. The police didn't have guns anymore. The drug cartel had the guns. It was extremely dangerous, but we felt like the Lord called us there. And so, you know, we've said several times, it's always better to be in the center of God's will, doing what he's called you to do, no matter how dangerous it looks, than to be running from what God's calling you to do, because that's a really dangerous position. You, you know, Jonah, 
You know, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. You could be somewhere on a beach sitting underneath of a coconut tree and get hit on the head with a coconut. I mean, you know, when you are running from God's will, it's a dangerous place to be. So right in the center of what God's called you to do. And we absolutely loved it. It was such an incredible experience. We had such a great time. In fact, I had a lot of time during the day because the kids would go to school during the day and there wasn't much to do. You know, we didn't really have internet, um, no television, you know, and so I spent a lot of time with God. I spent a lot of time with Holy Spirit. In fact, he taught me things during that time. Like, uh, I would be reading my Bible and all of a sudden I think I should put on worship music and just lay down in his presence and just, you know, spend time with him. It's interesting because later on I saw other people doing that and they actually called it soaking in God's presence. Nobody ever taught me how to do that. Holy Spirit actually taught me how to do that. Um, there would be times that I would be spending time with him and I would just want to get up and actually um, felt like I was dancing with Jesus, like dancing with Jesus. I would dance around the room. Uh, worship time, my worship time, I never experienced anything like that. I learned about prophetic worship and I'd never seen that before, but Holy Spirit actually taught me how to do that. It was such an incredible time and he's such a great teacher. That's what we were experiencing while we were in this children's home. And then one day I was uh, in charge of making a meal for the workers, the kids all went to bed. All of the adults were going to get together and just, you know, have a great conversation and eat a meal together. And uh, we realized we didn't have any Coca-Cola. Well, in Mexico, if you don't have Coca-Cola, you're in trouble <laughs> because that is basically water when you're there. And so that is what we drink. So uh, Colton and David thought, we'll run out. We'll go get um, some Coca-Cola and, uh, and come right back. So it was getting dark at that time. They jumped in uh, the, the little minivan that we had, and they went across the street, getting ready to pull in front of the little tienda, which is a little grocery store, kind of a makeshift grocery store, right down the street from our children's home. Well, when they pulled in the gas station, getting ready to cross the road in front of the tienda, an SUV pulls up on the back bumper of the minivan. And Colton, our son, he was 18 at the time, he kind of looks up and he said, Dad, what's going on? At the same time, another SUV pulls up in front of him, sandwiching this minivan between these, these two SUVs. Four guys jump out of the SUV in the back, four guys in the front, all with machine guns yelling, get out of the car. Now, none of their faces were covered, um, which was a... I mean, you knew at that time it was the drug cartel. It's not federal police. It wasn't, you know, somebody there to help you. It was the drug cartel. And it was very dangerous. In fact, they had done several, t taken a lot of people for uh, ransom, but never returned them. Um, a lot of killings had been done in that area. It was just extremely dangerous. And so David knew he couldn't get out of the car. And he said he stuck his hand on the stick shift. And at that time, the conversation that David had had with the Lord a year prior, remember, and he was looking for answers a year prior when he went into our room, fasting, praying, looking for answers. And God said, I won't give you answers. I'll give you peace. When David put his hand on the stick shift, that whole situation came back to him. He remembered the whole thing. And all of a sudden, peace entered the car. And he said, it wasn't a feeling, it wasn't an emotion, it was a person, which when you read about Jesus, he is the Prince 
of peace. So peace entered the car. And when it did, when Jesus entered the car, David knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He put his hand on the stick shift. He put it in reverse and he turned the wheel and then he put the car in drive. He turned the wheel again and he got out of that situation without hitting one of those SUVs. When that happened, all four guys in the back, four guys in the front with machine guns, instead of shooting, which nobody could believe that they didn't shoot, they all jumped into their SUVs and started following them. Well, David and Colton, they were on this road that was really a makeshift road. That It wasn't like two-way um, two or one-way. It wasn't any of those kind of things. It was kind of just a makeshift road in the middle of nowhere in a very agricultural community. And, uh, and David and Colton are a, a, a ways ahead of him. They can see the, the lights coming, but they're a ways ahead of him. But they're going towards a town that's completely run by the drug cartels. So they know if they get to that town, they're in trouble. But they see this sugarcane truck right up the road. And these sugarcane trucks, they were massive. Um, they took up most of the road. They had a lot of smoke that came from them. They were really tall. They went really slow. David sees the sugarcane truck. He pulls in front of him because God told him to. He pulls in front of the sugarcane truck and slows down. And a little bit longer goes by. And all of a sudden, those SUVs, zoom, zoom, they go right by the sugarcane truck, never seeing that David had pulled in front of it. David turned around, went back the other way and hid under a bridge for a while. And then he's calling the children's home to let them know what's going on. And I didn't know this at the time. I'm in there not having no idea that any of this is going on, making dinner. And I come outside and I see all of the staff at the children's home on their hands and knees praying. And I'm like, what's going on? About the time that I say that, here comes David and Colton in the minivan. They pull into the children's home and we hide the van that night knowing we needed to leave the country, but thinking, God, what are we going to do? I mean, we absolutely love being here. We had no desire to leave. Uh, we didn't want to go back to the United States, but we knew that we couldn't put our family in danger. God had gotten us out of that situation, but we didn't want to put the children's home in danger either. And so we ended up leaving the country the next morning. And we get to the United States and we had sold everything that we owned to go to Mexico. After being there that first year, uh, between the first year and the second year, we got rid of everything, Christmas decorations, pots, pans, everything that we had collected over the, you know, our time of being married and had a family, we got rid of everything because we had no desire uh, to come back. We planned on staying there full time. And so we're like, okay, God, what do we do? You know, what do we do here um, in the United States. And so we're praying and really wanting to go back uh, to Mexico. Well, um, we were in quiet time. We'd been there for a couple of weeks, praying, asking God, you know, what do you have? And I pick up this Bible that I had purchased, and it was called the Spirit-Filled Bible. I love this Bible, by the way. It's called the New Spirit-Filled Bible. If you've never read it, it's amazing. But the commentary was actually done by a guy by the name of Jack Hayford. And as I was kind of reading through the Bible, you know, it had there, you know, commentary, Jack Hayford. And I'm like, okay, didn't really know that name or anything. Um, well, also Colton at the time was looking at attending Oral Roberts University. And we had gone to uh, the college to check it out. And while we were there, they had a speaker that came to visit and they gave everybody a book from that speaker. Well, when 
we hadn't read it. We went back to Mexico. When we left Mexico, you know, we threw a bunch of things in a bag. And one of the things was this book that we had gotten when we were at ORU. And later that day, after, you know, opening this Bible and seeing the name Jack Hayford, I opened up the book. I hadn't read it yet. And it was actually uh, dedicated. The book was dedicated to Jack Hayford. And I was like, well, that's pretty interesting. Okay, so I hear his name twice. Well, the friend that we were staying with, he was doing a course through his church. And that course was actually um, written by Jack Hayford three times in one day. Well, we ended up going to a lunch with some pastors. And when we were at lunch with those pastors, they actually brought up the name Jack Hayford four times in one day. That evening, when we were getting ready to go to bed, we were actually listening to a sermon that someone had sent us um, out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And they had a, a guest speaker that day at the church. Guess who was speaking? Jack Hayford, five times. So we're like, okay, God, five times. What are you trying to say? And uh, we felt like God was saying, get a hold of Jack Hayford. So we were praying that maybe Jack Hayford would pray for us and he would send us back to Mexico. Say, hey, I'm going to pray a hedge of protection around you. Send you back to Mexico. To Mexico. Well, we get a hold of uh, the per people that work with him and they're like, actually, Jack's on a sabbatical right now. But why don't you send us the story um, you know, in writing, we'll get it to Jack Hayford. And then, you know, who knows, maybe God will make that connection. And so a few days later, we end up getting an email back from Jack Hayford. And Jack says, I've read your story. It sounds like God wants us to talk. And, uh, and so we get on the phone with Jack Hayford on Easter, Easter Sunday, that evening, he gives us his phone number, we call him. We share the story, everything I just shared with you, everything that happened in Mexico. And he said, hmm, he goes, why, why do you think that God has connected us? And we were like, I have no idea, no idea whatsoever why God connected us. And he said, well, let me kind of share with you what I think, and then I'll let you guys pray about it. He said, it sounds like you guys kind of went to Mexico, great experience, uh, but there wasn't really any prayer covering, nobody really there. You just kind of went half cocked, you know, to Mexico without really a support of a church or intercessors or anything covering you. And he said, I really feel like God is saying um, that you need to go to a ministry school out in Redding, California at Bethel Church and kind of get to know people there. He said, you're going to learn a lot there at the school. But he goes, I think probably the biggest thing that you're going to get is relationships and learn about intercession and what that looks like. And we were like, ah, wah, 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 go to school. We've already been on the mission field. We want to go back in the mission field. That's kind of how we were feeling. He goes, he goes, why don't we talk again tomorrow? You guys pray about it. See what your thoughts are. And then we'll talk again tomorrow. And we did. And when we prayed about it and we talked, we were like, I think he's right. So we we're like, okay, we called him back the next day. And he said, yeah, I really think that's what you, the God is, is, is directing you to do. What I think is interesting is as I'm going through these stories, you can see God told David a year before he needed it, I'm going to give you peace 
but I'm not going to give you answers. God knew a year prior what was going to happen with that drug cartel, and he knew how important peace was going to be in that car that day. With Jack Hayford, he knew we needed to talk to Jack Hayford five times. He told us in one day he brought up his name, knowing we needed to connect with Jack Hayford. God cares about every aspect of our life. None of the things that are happening in our life catch him off guard. He's not shocked. So the things that we're seeing in our world around us or things that have happened to you before, he's not shocked by any of those things. And God is so good that even if you make a mistake and you didn't hear his voice correctly and you went down a wrong path, if you are obedient and you're listening for God's voice, he's going to redirect you and he's going to help you to get on the path that he has for you. He loves you. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I mean, I think that's so important. Well, we went to Bethel and I will tell you this, we learned a ton during that time. We made incredible relationships. In fact, um, people that are leading our intercessor teams came from there. relationships that I have, all of those things, they were extremely critical and important for what we are doing today. But there were some things that I learned there that I want to go through with you today about healing, about who God is, that I think are really significant for what we're going through right now. First thing is that I learned a foundation that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what the world looks like, that God is good, period. God is good. Now, if you talk to Robin Bullock, we've even taken it the next step after meeting him. He says, God is absolutely good. But that's the foundation. So no matter what's going on in my life, if things look confusing, confusing, if things look bad, if I'm like, I don't really understand this, I always go back to this foundation that God is good. So when I want to talk about some healing, whether it be emotional healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, all of those things, that God never gives anyone a disease to teach them a lesson. Sometimes you'll hear that, oh, God made me sick so that I would get down to the bottom and I would come to the end of myself and that I would follow him. I want you to know that God would never give somebody a disease. Never. God is the best father. He's the ultimate father. Let me ask you a question. If you are a mother or father, would you ever give your kids a disease or break their legs or do something bad to them to teach them a lesson? Never. You would never even consider that. That would be abuse. You would never do that to your children. God is a much better better father or parent than we are. He would never do that to his children. Let's take it another step, you know, to really understand this. Every person that Jesus prayed for was healed. Every person with demonic spirits, those were cast out. God, Jesus, if, if he caused a disease, why would he heal everyone? He never, ever would cause a disease, and he healed everyone that he prayed for. Then, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that's very significant. He was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, and then he died on a cross for our sins. When that happened, he went to hell. He stripped Satan of everything that we lost when Adam sinned. So there was a plan when Adam and Eve were in the garden. But then they sinned, 
by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because, and God told them not to do that. They did that, and then a lot of things happened at that time. They were kicked out of the garden. Uh, there was strife that was going on. Sin entered the world, um, and we lost authority during that time. Death entered the world. So Jesus went, stripped Satan of all of that. He rose from the dead three, three days later, and when he did that, he came back and gave us the authority. So he said, I now have taken that. I'm going to give you the authority. And he said, you want me to go to heaven because they, nobody wanted him to go to heaven. They wanted him, him to stay. He goes, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to intercede for you. But when I do that, I'm going to send my spirit, Holy Spirit, to come and be your teacher. That is, he's your comforter. He's your teacher. He's here to actually help us. That's why we have Holy Spirit here. He's here to help us. And Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did. He did some pretty incredible things. He walked on water. Um, he cast out demons. He uh, would raise people from the dead. I mean, every person that came to him was completely healed. So he said we were going to do those things. In fact, we were going to do greater things. And so it's understanding the authority that we walk in. And I want to read you John 15, 7. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So Jesus is saying, if I'm in you and you're in me, you ask whatever you wish and I will give it to you. I will do it for you. And one thing I, I want to point out too, when it comes to healing, if you're praying uh, for healing for others or healing for yourself, you don't have to beg for God to do it. God wants to do it. He loves that person or he loves you uh, more than you love yourself, more than you love that person. He created them and he wants them healed just as much as you do. So there's, you don't have to beg for healing from, for God. God wants financial breakthrough for you as well. All of these aspects, if you're looking at your life, um, if you have a child that is a prodigal child, they, they've gone the other way, you don't have to beg for God to bring them back. He wants them back just as much as you do. And there's power in your prayer. When you pray for them, a parent specifically has power you know, over that. Holy Spirit is working on your behalf to put people around that around your child. Um, he's working to soften their heart. They have to make the decision. He will. Ne he's a gentleman. He's never going to push himself on them, but he's making it easy for them to find him because of our prayers. It's very, very powerful. Every time you pray, it is impossible for something not to happen. And God actually showed me that you have prayer which is like an ax and you have a sickness or a problem, which is actually like a tree. And so when you pray and you hit that tree with your ax, which is your prayer, and it's the problem or the sickness, eventually that is going to fall. It's impossible to pray and for something not to happen. I'm going to share another really powerful story with you about intercession and prayer. Just it's, it's a tangible thing that you can see. Wow. Okay. This is amazing what prayer can do. So our son, Colton, uh, he was in ministry school with us out in Redding, California. That's um, so where he met his wife, 
I mean, it was such an incredible experience. We absolutely loved it. There's David and I graduating from first year, um, and Colton met his wife there. Unbelievable experience. Um, and he was going to go on, and that's Heidi Baker. I don't know if you've heard of Heidi Baker before, but she's a missionary in Mozambique. She's one that has seen, she's prayed for people that, that um, were dead and became alive. I mean, unbelievable stories with Heidi Baker. She's got a book called There's More Than Enough. Um, if you have not read that story, it's absolutely incredible. So I had the opportunity to spend some time with her and be a part of a prayer team um, at some of the different seminars that she did. So incredible woman. Uh, but Colton was going to go on a missions trip, um, and he was going to Costa Rica. And one of the main concerns that these you know kids had, there was 10 of them that were going, were coming up with the finances. And the person leading the trip said, don't worry about finances. If you're supposed to go, the money's going to come. Don't worry about the finances. But she said, what I do need you to spend some time doing is I, I need you to find 10 intercessors, each person. Oh, yeah, 10 intercessors, each person. Sorry, let me go back. There were 30 kids that were going, 10 intercessors that each kid needed to get for that missions trip. And she said, before you can go on the missions trip, you have to get 10 intercessors, each person that are committed to praying for us while we are gone. They are committed. They're going to be spending time praying, uh, expecting miracles, praying for our safety, praying for miracles to happen. And so each child, each one of these kids found 10 intercessors, 30 kids, and they head to Costa Rica. So you've got 300 intercessors that are praying for this missions trip, and they're committed to, to doing it and expecting miracles while they're there. So they go to the very first church they're going to be praying at, praying for the congregation that's coming that night, the community that's coming in that night. And there was a the church group that were there that were going to give them food and drink and all of that before they went out to minister. Well, one of the ladies that was helping that was from that church, she had this big growth underneath of her chin. Colton said it was maybe the size of a softball. And the lady leading the missions trip, she looked up, saw the lady, and she, and she said, not on my watch. And she tapped that growth. These kids are watching, and all of a sudden, that growth completely disappears right in front of their eyes. A complete miracle. And Colton said they all looked at each other, and they said, this is going to be unlike any missions trip we've ever been on. And at that time, before they went out to minister, she told him, she said, there's 30 of us here. We're getting ready to go out and minister. But she said, we each have 10 intercessors. She said, that's 300 people that are praying into this time, expect miracles. And Colton said they saw miracle after miracle after miracle at that time. Imagine when we are all linking arms and we are all praying together, expecting miracles for this country, expecting miracles for this nation, what we're going to see. It's all of us coming together and expecting miracles because God has great things in place for us. The next thing that I learned when I was at school was God is good, but God is a good father. He's not just good, he's a good father. And he took me to Romans 8.15. So in it, that Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That was huge to me because I understood the orphan spirit because we worked in orphan care. We did that for two years and even lived 
in the children's home in the orphanage. So we spent a lot of time with these kids and we understood what that meant by an orphan spirit. So an orphan spirit, let me just give you an example. Let's say that one kid there um, had a toy and he's playing with the toy and he breaks the toy. Well, what they would do, it's an orphan spirit, they would try to put that toy back together, set it to the side, make it look like it was never broken, and then hope that nobody finds it, you know? And then the next kid that does find it, they go to pick it up and, oh, they broke, you must have broke that toy. They didn't want anybody to know who broke the toy. Well, if that was your child and they broke their toy, they would come to you and say, mom, mom, I broke my toy. Can you fix it or can we get another one? I mean, they're going to let you know because... They know that you're a mom or dad that's going to take care of them. That's how it works in a family. But when you don't have that, then you want to put it back together and not let anybody know that you broke it because you don't even know if you're going to get another toy again. And so God says, you no longer have a spirit of fear as an orphan. You have a spirit of adoption as sons of daughter, which we, which we cry out, Abba, Father. Well, after studying Abba, father, I actually found out that actually means dad or daddy. It's not just calling a father, which is kind of formal. It's actually daddy. Wow. Okay. That gives a completely different perspective on who God actually is in our life. He's a daddy to us. It's very intimate relationship that we have with our father. I want to show you just kind of a cool experience uh, with Holy Spirit and how, you know, he's shown me more things. So we went to the school of ministry out at Bethel and there's 1400 students around that in our first year uh, of everybody coming together. And people came from all over the world. They just weren't the United States. They came from all these different countries, all different ages. Some that were, we were in our forties, some people in our four, their forties, some people in their, you know, retirement ages, 60, 70, a lot of kids that either had just graduated from college or they went there right after high school. Um, but when they were, especially when they were coming from these other countries, there's a lot of sacrifices that were made. They couldn't work. So they would have to have saved enough money to be able to attend the school, but also for their housing, for their food. I mean, all of these different things. There was a lot of sacrifices that were made. And I remember it was the very first day of school and we were getting ready to have worship. And all of these people came from everywhere and there was not a spectator in the room. Every person was 100% in, you know, on what was going to happen there. And when worship started, it was like, I've never, I think that's kind of what heaven's going to feel like. It was absolutely amazing. I've never experienced anything in my life. Now, I hadn't ever seen anything in the spirit world at all. I'd only, you know, seen what was going on in the natural. Now, you may hear people say, hey, I've seen an angel or I've been to heaven or these kind of things. I hadn't ever experienced anything like that. Well, when that happened in worship that day, I get a picture. I could see it. It was almost like I, I, I could see it, but it was like those transparencies. Do you guys remember those projectors? You know, I'm, I'm 50, so I'm older, but if you're kind of, uh, you know, maybe closer to my age or, you know, somewhere around there, you may remember projectors where they would put transparencies on top of them. So you would see what was going on here. Then you could put another transparency on top of it and you could see on top of that. So you would see one transparency and another, you could see both of them, um, on the projector. So this is what it was like for me. I looked around the room and I saw all of us worshiping. So we're all worshiping the Lord. But all of a sudden, like a transparency, I see, and I knew it was Jesus, 
walking through the room. So he's walking in the midst of the people. But he had this long, it reminded me of a king that maybe had a long train following him. Like it was complete royalty, but he had this, this long train. And um, I, you know, I was trying to describe it to David. And I said, it kind of looked like, do you remember when Lady Diana got married and she had that long train that followed her? And David's kind of picturing this woman. And he's like, well, Jesus wouldn't be wearing a train. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I saw it. I saw it. Well, a while later, um, we came across Isaiah 6, 1. In, in Isaiah 6, 1, it says his train fills the temple, the throne room. His train fills the temple. And I was like, David, remember the vision I had of his train filling the temple? That is what I saw. It was this long train behind him. So Holy Spirit showed us scripture to back up what I saw. And I was so excited. I couldn't even believe it. Well, I was sharing this story. This was just last weekend with the group in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That night I went back to my hotel room. So this happened back in 2012. I hadn't thought about it much since then. And I'm sharing the story on my way back. And when I get to my hotel room, God shows me Psalm 22, three about that encounter that I had with him. And Psalm 22, three says that um, he inhabits the praise of his people inhabits. That means he dwells, he lives, he's, he inhabits the praise. Well, what were we doing? We were praising the Lord. So Jesus was walking through the room. He was spending time. He was inhabiting the praise of his people. So Holy Spirit, again, was teaching me more of what I was seeing. I didn't just see something. He was showing me scripturally what was actually happening during that time. That's how incredible Holy Spirit is. He is truly the best teacher and he can show us even more from what I experienced back in 2012. He was sharing with me just this past weekend, even more in depth what he was doing. Now, Jesus, if you remember from the Bible, it says that um, we have to be like the little children. So if God is our daddy where would we actually be spending time? So if he sits on a throne, where would we actually be as little children? Where are little children with their parents? Especially if they're close to him, especially if they call him daddy, they're going to be sitting on his lap. So we are actually on our father's lap. We are spending time. That's how intimate our relationship is with God. So if we're spending time with God and we're sitting on his lap, we should probably know what the throne room looks like. Don't you guys think if that's where we're going to be spending time? In fact, it says that we are seated in heavenly places with our father, that Jesus is at the right hand of his father and that we are in Jesus. So let's look at actually what the throne room looks like. Let's go to Revelation 4, 1 through 11. I think that this is important. So in the throne room, Revelation 4, 1 through 11, we actually find out what it looks like. It says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must, must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat 
was like a jasper and a sardius stone, a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So around the throne is this, is this rainbow, but it looks kind of a greenish color like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning. So when God's sitting on the throne, there's so much power from God that there's lightning and there's thunder that's coming from his throne because he is so powerful. Lightning and thunder and this emerald uh, rainbow is around it. And then there's these 24 elders that are there. And there's voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. So there's going to be these seven lamps of fire in there. Can you see it? Because that's where we're seated. So we might as well know what it looks like. That are burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. So there's this glass sea of crystal in front of the throne. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. Now, these creatures have, uh, have eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night. And they say, holy Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God is so holy that these creatures are saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders then fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him. They can't help it. They worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns. So they have these crowns, but they cast their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So this is what the throne room looks like. And where are we seated? Well, he's our dad. So we're right there beside him, either sitting with Jesus or on his lap. But we are right there because he's our daddy. And guess what? Our daddy is all powerful. He's so powerful. He's forever and ever. That's a beautiful picture. That's the throne room. That's where we're seated. And Jesus wants us to know we are seated in heavenly places. So when we are going to fight the devil, there is no fight because the devil is below us. He's beneath us. We are above him. We're seated in heavenly places. And, I, and God, this is the, the next thing I want to, to say, the third thing. So God is good. God is an absolutely good father. He's our daddy. But the next thing is, is God is all powerful. He's all powerful. So there is no fight between Satan and God. See, Satan was an angel that was created by God. 
So God is not the same as Satan. I think a lot of times people look at Satan and think, oh, he's so powerful. He's as powerful as God. In fact, when Satan was kicked out of heaven, God never even left his throne. The other angels kicked him out. God didn't even have to stand up to kick Satan out of heaven. There is no fight. And you've heard me talk about it on the prophetic report uh, multiple times. But if this room is dark and I turn on the light, the darkness flees. There is no fight between the light and the dark. Light comes, darkness flees. Satan has to flee, especially when we understand that da our daddy is all-powerful God. He's so powerful that lightning and thunder come from his throne, that the creatures around him and the elders, they fall on the ground and they worship him. They can't help it because he is so powerful. He is so holy. And that's our daddy. Understanding this, that God is all-powerful, uh, was probably the hardest thing for me to understand and apply. So I'm kind of kind of share some things that that maybe I experienced that may be helpful for you. So I I always felt I was capable of doing about anything. You know, I would work really hard and you know, I may have to work harder than somebody else, but I could accomplish about anything. And if done right, something needed to be done right, I needed to do it. And I didn't really trust anybody else to do it. I'm like, I can do this, I can get this done. And uh, it was interesting because, again, Holy Spirit was working through me, uh, for uh, with me through these situations. And he's like, okay, I'm going to help you to have a greater understanding of this. So I would come in a situation with David, and there was a period of time where every time I would give an answer or I thought for sure that I was right, I would be wrong. I mean, it would be as simple as, I think the store is over here on the right. No, it was over here on the left. I mean, it happened over and oh, so, so ridiculous. I mean, it was so much. It was ridiculous that it was obviously apparent that God was trying to show me something here, that I was wrong and that I didn't know everything. And if something was going to be done right, it wasn't necessarily me doing it because I didn't know everything. I wasn't all that capable of actually understanding it and that I actually needed a God. I needed God. I couldn't save myself. I was not the best at everything. I needed God. I had to really be humbled. It was interesting because uh, when Avery was really little, our daughter, now she's, you know, this amazing adult woman, but she was a little girl and we took her skating. And when she was skating, she was like, I mean, you guys, I thought she was going to fall and break her head because she was like almost falling down, you know, and I would kind of help her, you know, kind of get her from underneath her arms. And she'd be like, ah, leave me alone. I got this, you know, and then she'd skate a little bit more and then she like fell back and I'd like catch her, you know, and I kind of push her back. I got this. Leave me alone. She had no idea how close she was to danger uh, and to splitting her head open, you know, and I'm there protecting her, but she had no idea how much she actually needed us you know, during that time. And I think that's kind of how we could be in life sometimes. So first I had to realize how much I really needed God, that I actually needed a savior to take care of me, that I didn't have all of the answers. And I had to humble myself. I think there's a lot of us that that's kind of where we are right now in life. And once I try, uh, truly understood that, that, that God is good, that he's my daddy and that he is all powerful then he actually showed me how to position my heart. And he showed me this umbrella. 
And in this umbrella, I actually painted it. There's this picture of this umbrella. You can see the painting there is an umbrella. And um, under, on the outside was this darkness. And underneath of the umbrella was light and protection. So darkness above it, light and protection below it. And um, he, he wanted me to know that when I position my heart underneath of him, knowing I need his protection, I need him to help me. At that point, I can actually be protected. But if I don't feel like I need a God and that, or if my God's not big enough to protect me, or if my dad, if my God is not actually a good dad, and so my my heart's not positioned underneath of that umbrella, I'm getting rained on. I'm getting, I'm in a storm and there's nothing there to protect me. And so he shows me this picture and kind of this image of when I position my heart to fall under him, that he is good, first of all, that he is my dad, that he's a good dad, he's my daddy, and that finally he is powerful enough to take care of all of these things, then I can kind of position my heart to fall under his authority. What's interesting because around the time that I painted this painting, uh, Colton actually had was having a tough time in life. Colton was 18. Um, he moved out with a group of guys and he lived with a group of seven guys. And um, he was kind of out on his own. He was going to school, you know, really enjoying this process of growing up. Um, but he had some interesting things that were happening in his life. For example, his car got broken into and things stolen out of it several times. Like he had this leather bag that my brother had made him when he graduated from high school. It was, it was really nice. Um, it was, you know, it would have been very expensive. Um, it was in his car and it got stolen. It broke into this car and they stole it as well as other things. Another thing is we were actually an event together. And when we were at this event, he had an iPad and different things that were sitting under his chair. We were all there together. And his iPad got stolen from out from underneath of his chair. So we, we don't even know when it could have happened. But we're like, I mean, this is kind of crazy. Um, and then uh, his car gets broken into again. He had some racquetball things in there. Uh, he had a, a racket and some different things. His car gets broken into again. Still his racquetball uh, rackets and all of that out of his car. And then he was started dating Michaela. So he they were out at a, on a date. So they went to a park and they were throwing their Frisbee together. This is Michaela. She was actually painting on stage um, at the School of Ministry. Um, so just she's an incredible asset to our family. Um, she's an amazing woman. So uh, Colton and Michaela, they were dating. They were playing Frisbee at a park and Colton's things were, were setting there. And so were Michaela's. So both of their things were setting there. Um, and they were kind of under a jacket. Well, Colton had a wallet with some cash in it. And they came and they actually, they don't know when or how, but the cash gets stolen from there. And they didn't touch anything that Michaela had there. So they steal his wallet. And then finally, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Finally, his car, I don't know if you've ever even heard of this before. He had a truck. His truck wasn't even worth maybe $300. It was really old. It was given to him. It was an old farm truck. Um, I mean, it, it cost a lot. At that time, a gas was very expensive in, in California. And um, his truck, he'd filled it up with gas. His truck, they siphoned the gas out of his truck. 
I mean, all of these things happen. Car gets broken into, stole the bag. iPad gets stolen from underneath of his chair. Um, his car gets broken into, steal the racquetball stuff. Wallet with cash while he's playing Frisbee is stolen. And the gas is siphoned out of his car within a very short period of time. So much so he comes to us and he goes, something is going on, you guys. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is happening to me. And as we were praying for him, God showed us that when Colton moved out, he kind of looked like he was for himself, the way he positioned his heart was out there on his own and he didn't have his heart positioned under our umbrella of protection, that we were his umbrella of protection. And then God, and then my parents were over us. And then God is a protection over them. The truly, it was like, how are you positioning your heart? So we prayed, we went through this process. He, in fact, he still has that picture of that umbrella in his home, that he still pictures himself underneath of our umbrella of protection. And do you know that he wasn't stolen from. Nothing's happened to him like that ever again. But it was the positioning of his heart and how did he see himself. And God gave me this vision uh, of the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his goal. Uh, but like any predator, he is looking for easy prey, one that is by itself, not under protection of the herd. And so if I mean, it's just an alignment is how do we see our heart and where are we positioning ourselves? Do we see ourselves needing a God, needing God, and then we fall underneath of his protection and your kids too, where are they positioning their heart? So understand that the authority we have in the lives of others falls under our umbrella and we fall under God's protection and his umbrella. One thing I want to show you is um, Robin Bullock had a prophetic word that came out this week. And I, and I want to share with you, this came out on um, 11 And he was talking about the church and where the church is today and where he sees the church going prophetically. It was actually a prophetic word that he was delivering. And it was during worship time. And he said, it's the sound of progression it's the sound of the body of, of Christ progressing forward. For everything you know is about to change. The change has to do with the alignment of the spirit in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is about to take its place in the earth with authority, with their speech, with their actions in the spirit. They're going to flex their mighty muscle. So their spirit has a muscle, and they're going to flex these mighty muscles. They're going to show all the spirit world where the Holy Spirit lives. He lives on the inside of all believers. So when he delivered that prophetic word, it made me think of some tools that I've gained over the years that have helped me because um, we are spiritual beings. You know, like if you were to cut off my arms or my legs or, you know, anything like that, I'm still Stacy. It's not my body that makes me Stacy. It's a spirit that God placed within me that makes me Stacy. That is who I am. That doesn't change who I am. And so um, he, he wanted me to kind of talk about today some tools that have been life-changing for me. And the first one I want to talk about is the believer's authority. So this is an interesting book because when I went to the very first Reopen America event, Clay Clark felt this book was so significant for the time that, they, that he actually gave this book to every person that attended. 
I, I think there was 4,500 to 5,000 people in attendance at that event. He, he bought them and gave them to every person that was attending that event. I thought that was pretty significant. So I see this book and I pull it out of the bag and I'm kind of looking through it. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. And guess what I did with it? I just set it to the side. And uh, we were interviewing uh, Aaron Antis, which works with Clay Clark. Um, and he had gone to Rama Bible College. This book was called, is written by um, Kenneth Hagen from Rama. And, um, and I said something. And Aaron says to me, he said, ah, that sounds like something from the Believer's Authority. Have you read it? And I was like, ah, I was like, no, but I've heard of the book and I knew I was supposed to read it. And he goes, you should read that book. It's really good. And guess what? I just let it sit there. Didn't read the book. I think I may have brought it down here into the studio and kind of set it closer here, but still never read it. And then one day I was listening to Amanda Grace. And Amanda Grace, at the end of her program, says, this book, Believer's Authority, it's amazing. If you haven't read it get a, and you want it, get a hold of me and I'll give you a free copy of that book. And I'm like, okay, God, <laughs> three times in one day, I will read the book. I read the book and I did it within one setting. It's not very long at all. So I can't believe I kept putting it off. This book changed my life. And I really believe that this book is for this time right now. I believe it's what uh, the believers need. It's understanding the authority that we walk in. So this is a tool. If you've not read this book or if you read it and it's been a while, I recommend reading this book. We're entering a time right now where we are fighting as the church, as the ecclesia, as the body of Christ to close this portal, to stop this end time agenda that the enemy is trying to push. We have to understand the authority that we walk in. This is a book that I believe that every person needs to read. If you have not read it, you can do it in one setting. I re highly recommend it. So that's the first thing. Second thing I wanted to bring out are some tools from a ministry that we worked with called Nothing Hidden Ministries. NHM. They have an app. It does cost, I think it's $2.99 or something like that. Trust me, it's worth it. We used to have the, the book. And so we had to buy the little book and it was more expensive than $2.99. And this is an app that you can take everywhere with you. But there's some things I, I want to point out to you. Uh, there's the first one I want to, to talk about is one, two, three, skidoo. What this is, is, is we're dealing with spirits that are constantly coming at us. Uh, oh, especially over these last few years, there's been a lot of fear, there's been a lot of worry, and there's been a lot of anxiety. Um, the, in fact, the Lord told me this. I was praying for, for four women that I knew very well that had cancer, and I was pretty upset. I'm like, where's this Psalm 91, God? Because it was not looking good. One of them has passed away. I was very upset. I'm like, where's our, where's our authority, and why are these people... Uh, being affected by cancer. This should not be happening. Very upset. And during that time, God, God agreed with me because he doesn't cause cancer. Uh, we live in a fallen world and they should be healed because the enemy's trying to take them out before it's their time. And so he agreed with me on that. But he said this, he said, death is not as final as it seems. So I was like, to God, he doesn't really look at that. I mean, if you're a believer you die, you go to heaven, you live for eternity. That time there, this little time that we have on, on earth is a, just a little, little blip and then it's gone and we have eternity with the Father. So he doesn't look at this time on the earth the same that we do. So he said, you know, 
This is very, very minute. But he said, fear is much worse than you can comprehend. He said, fear is used by the enemy to cause diseases, to cause sickness. But he said, it's also stops you in your tracks from fulfilling the destiny that I have for you. So fear is really bad. He said, it is something you don't want to touch. You don't want to get around. You don't want to play with it. It's like poison. Stay as far away from fear as you can possibly get. Well, we've been bombarded by fear. Think about 2020 with COVID, 2021, constantly a ticker of all these deaths, all of these things coming at us, constant fear, fear, fear. I mean, they tried to kill us through fear. I mean, it's been a terrible thing. And so God has given us tools because these are spirits. They're not just emotions. They are spirits that we are coming into agreement with. You have to understand with Satan, Satan has no power in your life at all. The only way that Satan has power is by you agreeing to give him power or authority in your life. He cannot touch you. He cannot do anything to you. Even with Job, you may have read Job's story and said, oh my gosh, how could God allow that to happen? If you read Job, Job says, my greatest fears happened to me. He had great fears. He manifested those things through his fears. So fear is a bad thing. You don't want to touch it. So it's a spirit thing that we're dealing with. And the only way that Satan has authority is because we gave him authority in our life to be able to do that. And so we need to break those things. Doesn't matter what it is, fear, anxiety, stress. Uh, I mean, any, any kind of spiritual thing that you're dealing with, and you can do it through this app helps you. It's called one, two, three, skidoo. Let me give you an example. So you, you walk through it this way. I nail, and the, what you're picturing is the cross of Jesus right in front of us. And you're going to nail whatever it is. So you get a hammer, you get a nail, you're going to nail that fear right to the cross. So I nail fear to the cross. And then it's my job because somehow I made an agreement with Satan to allow fear to come into my life. So I break any agreement, but here's the deal. Satan's not fair. Whether I knew it or I didn't know it. So knowingly or unknowingly, I allowed fear to come into my life. So knowingly or unknowingly, I break the agreement that I made. And then I ask God for forgiveness for partnering with fear. Because if I partnered with fear, then I stopped my faith. I partnered with fear, got rid of faith. So I didn't trust God that he was big enough. So I partnered with fear. So I have to apologize to God for doing that. So I ask for forgiveness for partnering with fear. But here's the big thing. If I give God my fear, he has to give me something in return. You've probably heard it said before, if you cast out one demon, if you don't fill it with something else, they're going to come back, but they're going to come back worse. So you don't want that to happen. So God is going to give you something to replace your fear. So I'll say, I nail fear to the cross. I break any agreement that I made with fear, knowingly or unknowingly. And God, I ask you for forgiveness for partnering with fear. What do you want to give me in return. So I wait on the Lord to find out what does he want to give me in return. He might show me a picture. He might give me a word. Um, it might be a feeling that I have, uh, but he's going to replace it with something. So let's say that in this, I, I might see the word peace 
come down. I might feel his presence of peace come. And so I say, oh, okay, I accept your peace in return. So then when fear tries to come back, I say, uh, 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 God gave me peace in return. There's no space for fear. I have peace. And so I keep holding on to the peace that God has given me. If I partner with fear again, I just break it. I nail fear to the cross. I break any agreement that I made with it, knowingly or unknowingly. I ask for forgiveness. And God, I receive peace. And I may ask him, do you have more for me? Do you have something else? And he's a creative God. He can continue to give you more and more and more to fill that space. So that's one thing that that app, one, two, three, skidoo on that app that we've used over and over again. Obviously, I know it. I memorized it. So that's the first one on there. Second one I want to highlight is generational curses. So there are, could be things like, let's say, pornography. If somebody's been addicted to pornography, that can actually be a generational curse that can move from you to the generations below you. It's a generational thing. Or maybe uh, financially, somebody that just is always in trouble financially. That could be a generational thing that's come through your family. And so it's breaking that in your family line. And it's actually a prayer in there that you just place the cross of Jesus between you and your family line, and you break that curse. It's part of that prayer on the Nothing Hidden Ministries app. If you're like, I don't know if I have it, ask God. Holy Spirit, remember we've been talking about, he's a great teacher. He can teach you to show you what's been happening and how you can break it. Just ask God. He'll tell you. He'll help you to walk through that. And then finally, the next thing I want, there's lots of great things on there. Great um, things for your marriage, helping you through that. But the other thing I want to highlight is there's something called a spirit blessing in that. And you're probably like, spirit blessing? What do you mean? So you actually have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. How do I know that? Spirit, soul, body. How do I know that? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So it says, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So you have three parts to you. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. So let's look at the spirit. How do we nourish the spirit? How does that actually work? Well, there's multiple ways. One is through fasting. Fasting is an important thing to actually build up your spirit because you have your flesh, which is saying, say, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I need food. And your spirit is back here in the back seat saying, okay, I guess you're hungry. But it, in fasting, it's like, I'm going to spend time. It might be one day, three days. I've heard of people doing 40-day fast. Jesus did a 40-day fast. Um, you know, God would have to call you to it. You'd have to know that. But, you know, God maybe call you to a one-day fast or a two-day or three-day, 21-day. There's all kinds of different fasts. But um, let's say that he calls you to a fast and you your, your flesh is saying, I'm hungry. Your spirit says, no. I'm going to spend time feasting on the Lord. I'm going to spend my time feasting there. And I'm going to tell my flesh, you take the back seat. It's like a three-year-old maybe throwing in a temper tantrum. You take the back seat. I'm going to take the front seat. So that's one way 
of building your spirit, man. That's why Jesus even said to his disciples um, when they were trying to cast out that demon and they couldn't, he said that only comes out through fasting and praying. So obviously there's something to fasting, the significance of fasting. That's one way of building your spirit. A second way of building your spirit is actually um, through speaking in tongues. So uh, using your prayer language. If you don't have your prayer language, if you aren't speaking in tongues, ask the Lord for it. It's a free gift. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been saved. You ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. He will do it. You just have to open your mouth and allow that to happen. And then the third thing is the spirit blessing, actually blessing your spirit. This is a book by Arthur Book, uh, Arthur Burke and Sylvia Gunther. Gunter. Now, I want to talk about Arthur Burke, though. This is kind of cool. There's this uh, Arthur Burke actually worked for 30 years with people that were um, going to have children, babies, and he taught them how to bless their baby's spirit when in the womb. So from the time that the conception came, he taught them how to bless these baby spirits in the womb. And they would do it through worship music. They would actually bless their baby spirits. Like, I bless your spirit. I call your spirit forth to be prominent over your mind and body. This is part of the app, by the way. To be prominent over your mind and body and to be in total alignment with your heavenly father, your creator. I bless your spirit to do that. And so, and then also reading scripture over them, the logos of God, reading that over their children, their babies. So they're blessing them, building up their spirits while they're still in the womb. And then they did this thing where there were, for 30 years they did this, there were a hundred pregnancies during that time. There may have been more, but a hundred that they documented where it was time for the baby to be born and the baby was going to be breech. So they told those parents, now talk to your baby, bless their spirit and said, it's time for you to be born. You need to turn the right way so that you can come out head first. And do you know within minutes, all 100 of those babies turned. And a lady that we've worked with a lot that talks about the spirit blessing, she did a conference for pastors and there was a pastor that came up to her and said, we did the exact same thing. Our baby was going to be born. It was breach. We'd been blessing its spirit. We've been worshiping, uh, and then, you know, we've been reading the word of God over him. And so its spirit was, was being built up, and we told him to do that, and the baby turned within minutes, and the baby went headfirst and was born with no problems whatsoever. So you're building your spirit. It happens in a baby in the womb. Imagine what we can do ourselves when we're blessing our spirit. So there's a there's worshiping, all of that is part of it. So we've, we've, atta- we've talked about um, your spirit. Now let's talk about your soul. So your soul, as you are going through life, you watch a movie that's maybe scary. Um, Bad things happen. Offense happens. You know, all these things. Offense is probably one of the very worst things that could possibly happen because you make it, you make an agreement with it and you have unforgiveness to that person. Now you're carrying around unforgiveness, thinking you're punishing that person. You're actually punishing yourself. You've put yourself in a prison. God can't forgive you if you can't forgive others. And so it's understanding that. And so our soul, it starts to take all these things on. And um, there is a tool that we have found that we've been using for the last, I think we discovered it in like, 
I don't know, maybe six years ago. It's been a long time. Um, it was a prayer by Kat Kerr that somebody recorded and then they put it just on YouTube with some music behind it. The music's a kind of a little weird, but um, bonk, 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 bonk. It's just really funny. We laugh every time we hear it. But this prayer is very, very powerful. And it's a prayer on binding and loosing. So there's been times in our life where, um, where we have done this prayer in the morning and again at night. Uh, I highly recommend it. It is such a great thing, but it's going to get these things out of your soul. So you're going to loose the things that you don't want. Offense, fear, hurt, all these things. You're loosing them from your soul. And then you're going to bind to your soul the things that you do want, the things that God has to say about you, who God is, all of those different things. You're going to bind those to your soul. That is a five-minute prayer that's life-changing. You can find that on YouTube, and it's called Five-Minute Prayer to Change Your Life by Kat Kerr. Five-Minute Prayer to Change Your Life by Kat Kerr. We'll put that in the notes below so that you have that. And then I want to finally talk to you a little bit about your body now. So we've talked about our soul. We've talked about our spirit. Now let's talk about our body. We have authority Uh I just want to share a story for healing for myself. So I was really sick uh, with my second pregnancy with our daughter, Avery, and they found out I was allergic to the hormone that Avery was releasing. So the baby was releasing very sick. Um, I was throwing up all the time. They had me in the hospital. They tried medications. I was allergic to all the medications. Finally, they sent me home. There's like, we, there's nothing we can do. Uh, we know that this is going to last about nine months. That's what they, that's what their hope was for me. Uh, cause she's going to be born and then you won't have this anymore, but they ended up putting a permanent IV in and that's how I ate. Cause I was constantly throwing up all the time and four months into the pregnancy, I'd had several people pray over me, declaring, um, health over me, telling the hormones to come into alignment, all these different things. And I, I wasn't healed instantly. And one day I was laying in bed and I just cried out to the Lord. I said, God, I cannot do this any longer. I cannot do this. Please take this from me. And I was healed instantly. I got up out of bed. I took a shower by myself. I hadn't taken a shower by myself in a long time. Um, I, I called David. He was at work. And I said, David, I've been healed. And I said, you're not going to believe this. I'm eating cereal. Now think about cereal, cereal milk. You do not want to be sick and eat cereal. I was eating cereal. And then I said, I think I want Chinese food. Chinese food sounds amazing. When you're sick, you don't want Chinese food. I ate Chinese food and the rest of the pregnancy, I was fine. I was completely healed. God came into my room, touched me one touch from God and I was healed, but I was laying in my bed by myself. So this doesn't have to be somebody laying hands on you and it's somebody else. It's, it's you partnering with God and having the faith and saying, take this from me. It's a healing that the Lord has for you. He paid for it 2,000 years ago on the cross. Every person he prayed for was healed. And he said, we're going to do greater things than he did. So healing is going to be a normal thing for us. But I wanted to uh, kind of talk about seeds and the words that we speak. So if couple things. Number one, um, if you've been diagnosed with something, sometimes it becomes a part of your identity. So for example, if somebody says, you know, you had, you know, cancer, you, you might say, I have a certain type of cancer. When you do that, 
Now it's part of your identity because you say, I have it. That is who you are. I have it. It's important that you don't come into agreement with that. Now, maybe a doctor diagnosed it and you're not going to be ignorant and say, oh, no, that's not happening to me. You could say I was diagnosed with it, but God has greater plans. You, but you don't, it doesn't become part of your identity. I think that is extremely important. With the words that you speak, realizing we were created in the image of God. God spoke the world into existence. He spoke it and it came into existence. We create the world around us with the words that we speak. So being very aware of your words. Let me give you another example. I've heard people say, oh, it's flu season. I always get, and then they'll say it. I'm not even saying it an example here. I do not receive any of that into my life. I'm not going to speak those words because I know if I speak it and I say it long enough, eventually it becomes a reality. I'm not going to do that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. Absolutely not. The words that you speak have power. I've heard people say, oh, my mom had this. I'll probably get this. Be very careful with the things that you're saying because you're eventually going to bring that into your life because your words are very powerful. You're sowing seeds all around you. Make sure they're the seeds that you want to have happen. Now, we were with Amanda Grace this weekend in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Healing Revival. She shared something very powerful. Now, Amanda Grace was in a wheelchair for a year and a half. I don't know if if you all know that. Um, But she talked about how when healing comes, you have to realize that when people have a sickness or something's going on in their life, a lot of times it's what they meditate on and think about the most. Whatever that sickness is, whatever it is, they spend all their time or a lot of their time thinking about it, and it's part of a lot of their conversations. They talk to others about it. Instead of you know talking about the weather or what's going on, it becomes a part of a lot of their conversations. And she said, it is very hard for you to change that because that has become part of your identity. It's, a, it's your conversation. So what else are you going to talk about? So you have to realize when you want healing in your life from something, be aware of your words, but also be careful how much time you are spending thinking about that thing or talking about that thing with others. And if you're going to be healed, you have to completely walk away from that, not looking back. Another thing that people struggle with is they might get healed at a healing service, but then sickness tries to come back, just like that spirit of fear might try to come back. God says it's going to happen. That's going to try to come back. That's just how it works. The devil doesn't give up that easy. But you can say, no, in Jesus' name, you will not come back. I have been completely healed. Watch your words and keep your healing once you have received it. Don't veer from there because it's, it's very important that you don't allow Satan to steal what God has given you because Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. That is what he's all about. But you're not fighting with him. He's, I mean, you're coming from the throne room. You're much higher. You take authority just like you would with a little child. You're like, no, I'm not scared of you. No, you get back there. Or a dog that entered your house. Let's say that you own a home and some dog just comes into your house and starts walking around. If it's not your dog, you're not going to allow him to stay. You're going to say, no, get out. You have complete authority. Get out. This is not your house. Get out of here. And if the dog tries to come back in, shoo him out. You're not allowed here. That's how it is with demonic. 
That's how it is with spiritual things like fear, worry, all of those things, strife. Um, And that's how it is with sickness. It has no authority in your life unless you give it authority in your life. Satan has no control. You only control he has is when you give him control. He's under your feet. And then finally, the last thing I want to talk about is decreeing and declaring what you do want. Being intentional, not just stopping what you've been saying that maybe is bad, like I have this or every year I get this or anything that you don't want in your life. So if everything that you said became a reality, would you have a good life? If you wouldn't, then you need to change your words and the things that you're saying and declaring and decreeing on a daily basis. And a great way of doing that is, I love this book by Patricia King, is decreeing a thing and it shall be established by Patricia King. Decree a thing and it shall be established by Patricia King. I've used this over our country. I've used this for healing. I've used this for my family, family and children, um, spiritual strength. uh, I mean, glory, all of these things, wisdom. These are all favor. These are things that you can declare and decree. I highly encourage getting this book. You know that if you're part of the the prophetic report, that um, if you text the phone number 40509, text the word decree, uh, 40509, text the word decrees, I guess it has an S on the end, D-E-C-R-E-E-S to 40509, that you can have the decrees over our country. But I highly recommend getting this book uh, for all of the other things that are in here because this book is life-changing. The words that you speak have power. So I just felt like the Lord was saying I needed to come give tools, share my personal experience with God, what he's been doing in our life and understanding the authority that you have. We are in a crucial, critical time right now and um, everything is possible. I feel like you need to be saying each day, it's God possible, not impossible. It's God possible, not unbelievable. It's God believable. Because everything is believable when God is part of the equation. If you ever feel hopeless, hopelessness is rooted in a lie because God is taken out of the equation. If you feel hopeless, you ask God, where are you? And you will always have hope. So thank you so much for joining me today. I bless you. I bless you to realize you were born for such a time as this. I bless you to realize your future is brighter than your past. And I bless you to wake up, speak up, and show up. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'll see you back here next week. Hello, Flyover family. Join me every Wednesday for the Prophetic Report at 1111 Central. You can find it on Rumble. You can find it on the Flyover app. We have such an incredible time of hearing from all of these different prophetic voices like Robin Bullock, Julie Green, Barry Wunsch, Amanda Grace, and Hank Kuhneman. Every week, it's either five or six different prophets that are speaking. And what's interesting is God is speaking through them. And all of these voices come together like puzzle pieces. It is so exciting to hear what the Lord is saying. We're hearing from medical. We're hearing from military intelligence. We're hearing from the financial world. We're hearing from mainstream media. But the most important is, what is God saying? He has not fallen off the throne. He's not nervous. He's not chewing his nails. He is in control. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. What a great time to be alive. And I'm so excited for you to join me every Wednesday at 1111.
Growing up in the heart of the USA, David and Stacy met at school when they were in seventh grade. They started dating at 19 and tied the knot at 20. Yep, it's a love story that warms the heart. At 23 years old, while juggling two kids, Colton and Avery, they started an online brokerage company that soared to unimaginable heights, liberating them from the confines of the nine to five grind. With their newfound freedom, this dynamic duo spent their time globetrotting. What followed was two years working on the mission fields, ministry school, marriage workshops, and even a music career. But hold on, folks. That's not where the story ends. In 2016, they saw a businessman they admired become president. During his campaigning, they noticed that he celebrated a system of government of which the founding fathers would have been proud. They had many friends asking for their thoughts on what was happening in politics. It was then that they realized that there was a burning need for a community where real issues could be discussed, debated, and dissected. And so, the Facebook group called Flyover Conservatives was born. As the 2020 election cycle rolled around, their group grew and grew, attracting more patriots by the day. But as we all know, the journey wasn't without its challenges. Big tech began to censor conservative content, shadow banning the flyovers, and subjecting them to daily fact checks that left many scratching their heads. Undeterred, this dynamic duo rose to the occasion. During the infamous Twitter purge, they decided to take matters into their own hands and launched their very own show, streaming on platforms like Rumble. And guess what? Their audience has skyrocketed to over 5 million views a month. With regular guests like General Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Kash Patel, Robin Bullock, Eric Trump, and so many others, they show absolutely no signs of slowing down. All right, let's get our stuff together here. Hi, I'm David Whited. <laughs> if we can skip the hi, my name's David Bird, because that's where I got it tend to derail. Hi. <laughs> but I did good. See, look. First thing says, Say your name. Say your name. <laughs> Say your name, David Whited. <laughs> Have you been wondering what to do with the spare time you have on Saturday mornings? Have I got a way for you to fill that time? Not cleaning your garage, folding your laundry, or doing something with yourself. Filling your head with worthless information about what may or may not have happened 5,000 years ago. Have you ever wondered about ancient civilizations or about chemtrails in the sky? Or have you ever had a friend at, at school talk to you about friend at school? <laughs> Some days when you're sitting there with your lunch pail and you're talking to your friends at school, they, they bring up your flat earth and you think it's a flat earth. I don't know if your flat earth is flat or not. I don't know. Alligators are angry because they got all those teeth and no toothbrush. And it's all true. And we talk about it every Saturday. <laughs> we talk about Rubik's Cubes and stuff. <laughs> we like to have conversations with people that have made documentaries, written books. Oh, this is terrible. I can like feel myself hating watching this later. Okay, give me a swoosh. Let's do this thing for real this time. I got a show for you. <laughs> my, hang on, my, my eyes red now. You won't be able to tell in there. Peter can fix it. He can run it through a filter. Can he run it through the Brad Pitt filter and get rid of the, my red eyes? Oh, I'm probably doing the world a disservice.
Okay, Flyover family, there's a lot of people that are concerned about the economy, what's going on around us. You know, David uh, was reading an article the other day that it's $700 more per month to live the same lifestyle that you were living before than it was uh, when Biden came into office than it was when President Trump was in office. This is a crazy time, and people are really looking for um, what do I do during this time with my dollar? It doesn't seem very secure. And today I have a guest that I'm really excited about. He's the author of a book called Thriving in the Economic Tsunami. And that's what we want to do. We want to thrive during this time. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dr. Kirk Yay! Welcome. It's so good to be with you again. Oh, it's good to be with you. Let's talk about this thriving during this time because a lot of people are hoping to survive. Now, what do we do to actually thrive during this time? Because this is what everybody's wanting, not just surviving. Well, so I'm, I'm actually, I every single week I address my team and try to give a motivational message. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's maybe only motivational to me, but yeah, it's still one. <laughs> but, but really, so... There's this thing, when you look at opportunity, motivation and opportunity are always connected. Yes. And you will never, somebody will never have an opportunity unless they're first motivated, right? So yeah. it just doesn't, doesn't just happen, right? It's like people who are seeking opportunity will find it. And the weird thing about opportunity is almost always opportunity is born out of crisis and out oh, of pain. That's really good. That's true. Right? Because at that point, you're actually looking, you're motivated. Again, motivation and opportunity are connected at the hip. Yep. So you're looking for change. You're looking for something to change your life, change the predicament, change the pain that you're in. And opportunity just shows up. No, it doesn't show up like that. Mm -hmm. Opportunity is always there you have to be looking for it though. And you have to be motivated to act. You have to be motivated to maybe think outside the norm to get you out of that point of pain or out of that point of crisis. And, you know, you always hear all these dumb sayings like, Ooh, you're so lucky. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. It's like, no, no, you use biblical wisdom and hear God's voice and have that Holy spirit prompting. And when you're motivated, God will lay opportunities in front of your plate, right? So that's as so we talk good. About I, as you, I, before you go on, I was just making this. I'm going to completely screw up this story, but I'm going to try it because I remember hearing this one time. There was a salesperson that worked for a shoe company. He was sent to another country, and when he went there, um, he looked around and nobody wore any shoes. And he contacted the company and he said, "Nobody even wears shoes here. You're not, I'm going to have to come back home. There's no market here." So they send another salesman to that area and that salesman gets there, realizes nobody was wearing shoes and he's like, send me a bunch of shoes. This is an incredible market. Nobody here has shoes. So it's really, I know I kind of messed it up, but it's really perspective, you know, and what are you looking for and how are you looking at the opportunity? So you have to know what fundamentals cause certain things to move, right? So when, when you look at past presidential administrations like Trump and Reagan, very similar economic policies. They lowered taxes, they lowered interest rates, and they created jobs. That causes people to spend. When people spend, there's all kinds of opportunities in the stock market to buy companies. Yep. There's opportunity in real estate, right? 
But now when you when you look at policy, which is the first thing I always look at to determine if an investment's good or bad, because every investment that we have is going to grow or shrink because of policies coming out of DC. So right now we've got the opposite of what we had during Reagan and Trump. We've got rising taxes, rising interest rates to slow down inflation that they're creating by funding every stimulus program under the sun. And we don't have job creation. We have wage reduction. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, it's like absolutely the opposite. So here's where though Bidenomics, he might brag about it like he does, but mm -hmm. it's not good. It's not good for America. So the, the, this recent study that just came out literally two days ago talks about consumer spending. And Biden and Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, were congratulating Americans like three weeks ago. They were saying, good job, America. This is, came right out of Janet Yellen's mouth. You're very resilient and you're spending a lot of money in the time when, when the economy needs you to spend money. And that's such a good thing. And <laughs> oh my it's like, gosh. Wait a she's, she's bragging about people spending money when they don't have it. That's the recipe for disaster. That is the recipe and, for and people, disaster. Oh my word. It doesn't even make sense. It's so dumb. So, so, <sighs> so what is she talking about? Have people been spending money? Well, yes, they have been. So technically she can get by without lying about it, but how have they been spending on credit cards? That's not real. Now, no. if you and I were to spend out of our checking account or savings account or cash under the pillow, right? It's like, okay, that's real money. That would be real economic growth. When you're spending on your credit card, that's borrowed money. It's not real. Yep. And and what we're seeing now is that credit card lines, we talked about this briefly, I think, three weeks ago. We said credit card lines are maxed out. Mm -hmm. There is no more available credit. So consumer spending is going to have to come down. What happened in October? Consumer spending came down. Wow. It's like, one of those things where it's like, I hate it that we're right, but I love yep. it that we're right. We're helping people, right? So, yep. so what exactly what we said was going to happen happened because people have no more credit line. So Janet Yellen bragging about how resilient Americans are, that wasn't real money. And we'd called it and said, once they, they reach their credit lines, they can't spend money. They don't have it. Mm -hmm. Well, this just happened, right? So what else happened? credit cards for the first time ever in the history of our country have reached over a trillion dollars in credit card balances oh, outstanding man. trillion i mean it didn't just kind of creep by it just a little bit i mean it blew past a trillion dollars it's like that's a lot of debt that, that is a have. lot that we're seeing now that we're going to see a lot more effects of here in the near future yeah so so, and why though, why are we going to see a lot more of that? Um, Elon Musk to actually answer that question, uh, last week made the statement because of artificial intelligence said, you're not going to see any help wanted signs probably in the future said he foresees next year, you're going to see no jobs needed signs. Um, wow. because humans are being replaced by computers. So the estimates are in 2024, which is a month and a half away from 2024, 80% of all companies in America are going to be using artificial intelligence in some way, fashion or form. 
80%. Now, it's only going to be a matter of time before them using it and replacing jobs with it is mm -hmm. going to happen. So this is where his ominous prophecy, it's not intended to be a prophecy. I don't use those words lightly, but his prediction yeah. is there's going to be signs that say no jobs needed. Which goes and along with Yuvalno Harari, who says, what are we going to do with all these useless humans that we no longer need? Yeah. Useless eaters. I mean, yeah. I mean, seriously, that's what they think of us as people. So you look at that. Now, it's not just Elon Musk who's thinking that things are going to stink moving forward. Last week, Stacey, um, the, the CEO of Citibank came out with Project Bora Bora, their internally named document that said what? We're going to lay off at minimum 10% of our workforce. 10%. Citibank has 240,000 employees. That means at minimum 24,000 people wow. laid off. That would be the largest layoff in in the history of Wall Street. I oh mean, this gosh. is big. And they're a bank. This isn't like that small little Iowa bank that, that went into FDIC receivership last weekend. Mm -hmm. You know, people said the headlines that I saw, it's like, ooh, another regional bank hits the skids, you know, it goes belly up. It's like, this wasn't really a regional bank. It was pretty small. $66 million in deposits, $8 million in defaults, which caused them to go into FDIC receivership. People would say, Kirk, that's not a big story. It's like, yes, it is because of the reason that had happened. So this small bank is actually a massive lender to the trucking industry. What does the wow. trucking industry do? They ship things when people buy things. The fact that the truckers are defaulting on their loan payments to this bank says that Nobody is shipping anything. Why? Yep. Because nobody's buying anything. Why? Because they don't have money. Which so goes along me, with that cardboard box thing that you brought up a while back that, yeah. that that's decreased in the amount of cardboard boxes that are needed. Well, if you don't, you don't, you're not shipping because you don't have boxes because you're not, you're not shipping. I mean, all of those things go together. Yeah, that all comes together. And so to me, a small bank failure, when you look at the reason why it happened, tells a bigger picture of the economic future of America. Citibank, not a small bank, probably top three in the country in North America, behind JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America City. I mean, they're laying off upwards of 10%. If if they were so profitable and the economy were so good, they wouldn't be laying off 10% of its workforce. Right. It stinks, Stacy. The economy is terrible and they're going to have to raise rates even more. And so you look at all of that and you think, man, what do we do? Yeah. Right. Go back to go back to Jeremiah. Right. It says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to have a successful future. Right. And so how do you do that? You have to use biblical wisdom to understand the times that we're living in, to act accordingly. And see, they had put that verse in context. Mm -hmm. The Israelites had this promise. They had this promise that they were going to inherit all this land, you know, land flowing with milk and honey, yeah. right? But yet they were in captivity for 70 years. It's like, how could I believe this prophetic word that we were going to be free and have something amazing when we've been enslaved for 70 years? Well, what did God tell them right during, you know, in the verses preceding and the verses after that? It's like you, you live your life, you plant your gardens, you have kids and you just live life normally knowing that there is a promise down the road mm -hmm. for God's people. So with that 
comes wisdom and discernment and understanding. So we might be in a the equivalent of a slave period, right? And I'm not talking about slavery, slavery. I'm talking about bad times where you view mm -hmm. that there's no hope, right? Yeah. That's what slavery is. Yeah. Well, people view themselves as having no hope in this economy. There is, but you have to act accordingly, be in the right place at the right time so you can have the land flowing with milk and honey down mm -hmm. the road. And to do that, understand all the puzzle pieces, how economics, politics, social, spiritual, all connect together, and then just act accordingly, and you can thrive. To answer your first question yeah. on the show, how do you thrive during times like this? Use biblical wisdom, get into the right place at the right time. That's why we are shouting from the rooftop, silver, 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 silver. Makes sense. It's, it's the only way that I know of right now to minimize your risk and maximize your return. Because most of the time, Stacy, if you want a high return, you have to settle for high risk. And if you want low risk, you settle for low return. We've got low risk, high return. It's amazing. And to me, that's God sending us mm -hmm. out a little message, a little economic kiss, so to speak, that says, all right, I got this. <laughs> None of this is surprising me. Just take this leap of faith and do the right thing and you can thrive. I love that. You know, we talk about so often, you know, born for such a time as this and like things that you've done in your life, you know, just people in general are preparing them for the time that we're in right now. But I just want to point out just for people that maybe, you know, have missed why we have Dr. Doctor in front of Kirk Elliott there. He does have two PhDs. And Dr. Kirk, I would like for, for you to share, just in case somebody's missed it before in the past, what are your two PhDs in? Because that's this is very significant for this time. The first one is in public policy and administration, focusing on monetary economics, like central bank stuff, monetary policy. Um, second one's in theology. So this is where you get the philosophy of our firm, which is people over profit. That's where economics and theology can kind of blend. As you focus on people and profit will come, right? If you ever just focus on profit, people people yep. will leave, right? That's so right. so we want to you know transition people to a better life. Mm -hmm. um, we want to empower them to make wise decisions. We do that by focusing on people. And you are bringing heavenly wisdom to the conversations. You're not just approaching it from the natural standpoint. You're approaching it with Psalms, Proverbs type wisdom that you know we hear about, about Solomon. That's what you are doing at your firm. And it's so appreciated by what you all do. Thank you for those sweet words. I love them. We try. It's the truth. I mean, they couldn't do it without Holy Spirit guidance. There's, there's no doubt the world's too complex, too scary, too weird. But... Um, with him, nothing is too big, too scary, or too weird. It's all just, I've got this. I've got this. Amen. And we rely on him every single day. It's huge. It's huge. So Flyover Family, you can go to flyovergold.com. Great information there. It's a landing page. When you scroll down to the bottom, there's a place you can fill out your information. When you do that, someone from Dr. Kirk's team will get a hold of you. Now, I'm just thinking, as I'm talking here today, I'm thinking there's probably been people that have heard this over and over and over again that are like, they've never done it. Why haven't you done it? It doesn't cost you any money at all to find out what are right. your options. So if you're listening today and you're like, she's talking to me, I might be talking to you. Fill out your information. It's just an, a conversation to find out what are your options to put yourself in a good position financially during this time to protect yourself, protect your family. If you're like, I don't deal with the computer, then you can just give them a call. 
Call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You won't regret it. Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll talk soon. Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what am I going to do about my finances? You know, times are really changing. They're changing fast. Let me give you a quick example of how in 1920, if you had a $20 bill and one ounce of gold, you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. Wow. The the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. Today, that $20 bill, what's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a (laughs) handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information for your free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Have you ever wondered about ancient civilizations or the moon landing, chemtrails, the Nephilim, demons? Those are all things that fascinate me. Decided to use our platform of the Flyover Conservative podcast and create a new show called Conspiracy Conversations. Every Saturday morning, we get together with some of the brightest minds in the world that have spent thousands of hours on a topic, churning through the research, looking at things they've traveled, they've been to the locations, they're looking for the truth because they're as curious as you and I are about what's true. What is really true about our past, where we came from, where we are, and where we're going? We don't bring on guests to iron out their wrinkles and find out the things that we disagree on. No more than I go to the grocery store and and, and try to put everything in the whole store in my cart. I just try to walk out with better ideas than I had when I walked in. If you got something inside you that's like, what about that? I don't even know if I agree, but I would like to hear them out. If you have an open mind and a curious heart, we've got a show for you every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, conspiracyconversations.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives podcast with David and Stacey Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day.